This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today's episode is yet another solved case for my Curious Case series. Before we delve into this case though, I'd just like to give a massive thank you to JJ Monaghan Watches for sponsoring today's video. JJ Monaghan Watches is an independently owned Scottish watch brand. The owner is actually a friend of mine who used his savings to launch the company, which is why I'm so happy to feature his brand in today's video as, especially in today's economic climate, supporting small businesses is as important as ever. Everything from the website to the marketing to the designing of the watches is all done by one guy, and the hard work has paid off, with JJ Monaghan watches being worn by celebrities, footballers, and even by Martin Compton on the BBC's The Nest. My little brother is obsessed with one of the watches that JJ Monaghan was so kind to send my way, and I am too, so be sure to jump over to JJ Monaghan's website and grab yourself a watch or get one for your loved one. Just for you, JJ Monaghan has set up a 15% discount code so that you can save 15% off your order if you use the code JOSHUA15. Oh, and did I mention there's free international shipping? Tag me in photos of you wearing your watches when you get them. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. On Wednesday the 18th of June 2014, in the Swedish town of Akerson, Abribo County, a 24-year-old man who we'll call Peter to protect his identity came home from work to find his girlfriend, who we'll call Emma, not in the apartment that they shared together, and a note was left on the table. Presuming the note to be from his girlfriend explaining where she'd gone, Peter picked up the note and read it. That was when he realized that the note wasn't from his girlfriend Emma, but in fact, it was from his ex-girlfriend, a woman named Jonah Henningsen. The note, which was in Swedish, read, Hi, considering your silence towards me, I have realized that you have not chosen me, so I thought I'd stop by to collect my things. I was greeted by a furious Emma. Glad to see you've already moved on. I'll mail you your key and remove all things that might remind you of me from your apartment. I hope you and Emma will be very happy together. She reminds me of you when she's angry. Take care. I will always love you, Peter. Hooks from your Jonah. 
Confused as to where Emma might have gone, Peter decided to phone up Jonah to see if she knew anything. Jonah was actually at work when Peter phoned her and when Jonah picked up the phone, she told Peter that she had no idea as to the whereabouts of Emma. Later that day, the dismembered remains of Emma would be found in a forest outside the city of Kulmer, some 36 kilometers from Ackersund. What had happened to Emma? Who had done this to her and why? To answer those questions, we first have to find out who exactly Jonah is and what her connection to this case is. Jonah Henningsen was born in 1989 and from a young age, she loved horses. She often spent her time riding her horse and looking after it, using all her free time to do so. She was described by her friends and family as a very happy, outgoing person. A fun person to be friends with, though oftentimes childish. Jonah was very academically gifted, and her teachers knew that she would go far if she put her mind to it. According to one source, she achieved almost perfect grades at school. Jonah had just one idol, her older sister. Unfortunately, when Jonah and her older sister were both young and were both still growing up, their parents got divorced, and Jonah didn't take this divorce very well. Jonah and her sister also had a toxic trait that was instilled in them from a young age, which was to never publicly show that you're upset or that you're sad, um, as it's a sign of weakness. This would mean that regardless of how Jonah or her sister felt, they would always put on a happy smile and make it look like they're perfectly fine, happy-go-lucky, um, just to save face. It wasn't until 2013, the year before Emma's body was discovered, that Jonah met Peter for the first time. They met through a mutual friend in the summer of 2013, and straight away, Jonah fell head over heels. Jonah would later go on to say that Peter was like a drug to her. Peter and Jonah began dating, and they dated for about a year, but their relationship was very on and off during that year. During that year, Jonah actually got pregnant with Peter's child. When Peter found out that Jonah was pregnant, he immediately told her that she needed to go get an abortion as they were both far too young and didn't have enough money to raise a child or even a stable relationship. Peter wouldn't entertain keeping the baby for a second and ultimately, Jonah actually agreed that she'd go ahead and do it. However, despite her promises to Peter that she would get an abortion, she never actually did that. Though, sadly for Jonah, just a few weeks after finding out she was pregnant, she sadly miscarried the baby. Jonah had actually been really, really hurt by Peter's reaction to her pregnancy, later describing that it felt like Peter just didn't care about her. When Jonah miscarried, she told Peter that she had actually had the abortion, and Peter reacted in a very loving and caring way. He went out of his way to look after Jonah and gave her the attention that she, she wanted. She felt appreciated and loved the attention from him. During this same period though, Peter actually reconnected with an old friend of his, Emma. Peter and Emma had a history that went all the way back to 2008 when they were both in the ninth grade. They had been dating on and off since 2008, though the year before that Peter and Jonah met, the relationship ended 
fully for good or so they thought. And Jonah wasn't happy in the slightest that the pair had reconnected. In fact, she told Peter to stop meeting up with her, stop talking to her, and Peter promised that he wouldn't he wouldn't do this and that he would stay away and stay with Jonah. But that was a lie. Peter continued to have contact with Emma and they actually began dating. It wasn't until Jonah saw Emma's name at the top of Peter's best friend list on Snapchat that she realized that anything was the matter. For those of you who may not know, the Snapchat best friend list displays who you talk to most frequently on the service and you used to be able to see anybody's best friends on the app. Though nowadays the best friends list is private and you can only see your own list. Peter and Jonah by this point had started talking a lot less and Jonah actually started to accept that the relationship was probably now over. So she started to try and get over her love for him by going out to clubs and pubs and meeting up with men that she connected with on dating apps. But to her, none of these men that she met up with were anything like Peter. On one of Jonah's nights out, she actually bumped into Peter and Emma and confronted them. She told Peter that he had to pick one of them, but Peter said that he couldn't pick between them. Peter confessed that he was confused and was trying to keep them both close until he figured it out. This triggered something deep inside Jonah and to me this was the point where something inside her just snapped. In late spring of 2014, in a desperate attempt to get Peter's attention and out of pure jealousy of Peter and Emma's relationship, Jonah took a knife and cut a deep incision to her lower abdomen and then stitched it back up again. Afterwards, she took photographs of the stitched up wound and sent them to Peter, claiming to have had an emergency surgery due to complications with her ovaries. Jonah had hoped that Peter would shower her with the love and affection and attention that he had when she had miscarried, but she couldn't have been further from the truth. Peter, presumably seeing through Jonah's lies, told her to go away and to leave him alone. And this infuriated Jonah. Between June 14th, 2014 and June 17th, Jonah's internet history shows disturbing Google searches being made. Most notably, how to kill someone, injecting poison, and suicide autopsy reports. Further, she gathered as much information as possible on Peter's now girlfriend, Emma. Everything was coming together for Jonah. She was getting all this information together and she devised a plan to scare away Emma. She knew that Emma now lived with Peter in his apartment. She knew where the apartment was. And she also knew the hours that Peter works at his job, so she knew when he wouldn't be at the apartment. So she decided to go to Peter's apartment and wait for Emma to come out of the flat to go to her car so that she could go to work. In the early hours of Wednesday the 18th of June 2014, Jonah travels to Peter's apartment. She brought with her a hammer, a hunting knife, and syringes to inject a mixture of vodka and sleeping pills. Jonah's plan to frighten Emma had morphed into something much more sinister. Jonah intended to knock Emma out with the hammer, inject her with the vodka sleeping pill concoction, move her body to the train tracks, and place a bottle of vodka nearby to make it look as if she committed suicide. And so Jonah waited in the stairwell of the building for Emma to come out of the apartment. And when she did, before Emma even had the chance to close the door behind her, 
Jonah struck her on the back of the head with a hammer. But Emma didn't pass out instantly as Jonah had expected. Emma fell to the floor and started screaming. In a desperate attempt to cover her tracks, Jonah dragged Emma into the apartment and into the bathroom, closing the doors behind them. Jonah began to stab Emma with the syringe with the sleeping concoction in it. She also began to attack her with the blunt hunting knife that she brought with her, stabbing her a total of 17 times. It would later be reported that during this time, Jonah was telling Emma, please be quiet so I can stop over and over again. Throughout this, Emma was still screaming. She was actually screaming so loud and so continuously that a neighbor to the apartment started ringing the doorbell to the flat to see what was going on. As the doorbell rang, Jonah rushed to the kitchen to get a sharper knife and returned to the bathroom and with one single thrust of this sharper knife, killed Emma. Emma fell silent, and as she died, the doorbell stopped ringing. Jonah realized that she simply wasn't strong enough to move Emma's body, and so she decided to dismember her. Jonah walked out of the apartment, got back into her car, and drove back to her own home so that she could grab some Ikea bags and a saw. On the drive back to the apartment, Jonah was actually pulled over by the police and issued a speeding ticket. Jonah was super nervous that the police might see the Ikea bags and saw and question her, but they didn't and they let her get on her way. When she got to the apartment, she began the gruesome process of dismembering Emma's body into four sections and stuffing each section into an Ikea bag. She then moved the bags to the boot of her car along with a bloodied shower curtain and bath mat before blitzing the apartment and leaving the handwritten note that Peter would later discover. Considering your silence towards me, I have realized that you have not chosen me, so I thought I'd stop by to collect my things. I was greeted by a furious Emma. Glad to see you've already moved on. I'll mail you your key and remove all things that might remind you of me from your apartment. I hope you and Emma will be very happy together. She reminds me of you when she's angry. Take care. I will always love you, Peter. Hooks from your Jonah. After leaving the note, Jonah went round to the neighbor's flat, knocked on the door and told them that everything was fine. She was just having a fight with another girl in the apartment. Uh, everything was absolutely fine. Jonah then got into her car and drove to work as she was due to start her shift and clock in leaving her car with Emma's remains in the car park of her workplace. A colleague actually noticed that she had a bad cut on her hands, but Jonah told his colleague that she was gonna go get it seen by a medical professional later that day. Towards the end of her shift, Jonah received a phone call from Peter asking her if she had any idea where Emma might be, and she said no. In a sudden panic, Jonah left work early and drove the 36 kilometers to Culmer. When she arrived at the forest, she was physically and mentally drained. So drained, in fact, that she was unable to dig any holes to bury the Ikea bags in, so she left them against the base of a tree, against the trunk of the tree, and covered the bags with leaves and twigs. Jonah then drove back to her own apartment and rang her sister. 
the sister she idolised. She told her sister that she'd gone round to Peter's to collect her stuff and had gotten into a altercation with Emma, which resulted in Jonah stabbing Emma in self-defence. Jonah then told her sister that afterwards she left the apartment and then came back a short while later to make sure that Emma was okay, but when she went back to the apartment, Emma wasn't there. That was when Jonah's sister told her to call the cops that they'll find her and that she'll be all right. And so Jonah called the police on herself. The police arrived at around 9 p.m. and began to question Jonah on what had actually happened. Jonah kept up the same story that she had told her sister, that she had gotten into an altercation with Emma that ended in her stabbing Emma in self-defense. And the police went along with it until they asked Jonah how exactly she got into the apartment. Perhaps due to the fact that Jonah was mentally and physically exhausted, or due to fear, or due to both, Jonah became very tense and was unable to directly answer the detective's questions. The detective shouted at Jonah telling her that she had to be honest with him and that was the final straw. Jonah put her head in her hands and proceeded Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance and you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. It's to tell the police how she had killed Emma and dismembered her body and hidden her remains in the woods. Jonah was immediately arrested. In the early hours of the following day, at 36 minutes past midnight, a police dog located the remains of Emma in the woods. A police officer noted that a hand was sticking out of a pile of leaves. A forensic examination of the crime scene was conducted and the remains were taken to undergo a post-mortem examination. The police initially arrested three people on suspicion of murder. Jonah, Peter, and another man. Peter's apartment was also cordoned off so that it could undergo forensic examination. The police had a confession, but now they had to find the evidence to support the confession and the police theory. A few days after Peter was arrested, he was released and cleared as a suspect in this case. He'd been arrested on suspicion of concealing a crime, uh, but as the police were unable to find any evidence and it wasn't included in Jonah's confession, they let him go because they had no, no evidence to hold him. On the 21st of June, it was announced that Jonah would be rearrested on probable grounds for murder and that the other man that remained in custody was suspected of protecting a criminal. The following day, Jonah made a formal confession and was rearrested on the aforementioned charges. The day after that, the police recovered the murder weapons. On the 26th of June, a strange twist in this case emerged. 
it's important to know that only one source that I could find claims this, and that source in itself lists an anonymous police source as its uh, source for information. So take from that as you will. I didn't include it in my initial timeline of what happened because I was unable to confirm whether it did actually happen. It emerged that Jonah had rung a male friend of hers, the other man remanded in custody, and confessed what she'd done to him and asked for help with disposing of the body, but this man refused. It also emerged that after Jonah had murdered Emma and Emma had sadly died, she had tried to inject vodka directly into her veins to make it seem like she was heavily intoxicated when she passed away. That was something that a Swedish homicide expert claims to have been completely, completely unheard of and a unique approach in the concealment of a murder. On the 7th of July, the man that was remanded in custody was released and was um, not, not seen as a suspect in this case anymore, with the police's investigation now focusing entirely on prosecuting Jonah. In mid-July, a preliminary psychiatric evaluation was conducted on Jonah to determine whether or not she suffered from a mental disorder at the time of the crime, and it was determined that there was a possibility that that could have been the case. She was subsequently ordered to undergo an extensive psychiatric evaluation. It wasn't until the 8th of September that the results of the evaluation came back, which concluded that Jonah had not been suffering from a mental illness or disorder at the time of the murder, which meant that she would be remanded in prison to await trial instead of being sent to psychiatric care. The hearing in this case took place on the 19th of November 2014, and the extensive injuries that Emma had sustained were revealed to the courts. Emma had sustained six wounds to the back of the head with underlying soft tissue bleeding, a fracture to the roof and base of her skull, cerebral bleeding and bruising of the frontal and temporal lobe, 17 different stab wounds sustained to her neck, lower face, throat, and to the back of her right hand, all with underlying soft tissue wounds. She also had an injured air pipe, a knocked out tooth, and a wounded right carotid artery. It was further determined from the neighbor's testimony that the attack had lasted for around 20 minutes from the time that Emma had been hit in the back of the head to the time that the last fatal stab, meaning that Emma would have been in excruciating pain and would have suffered for a considerable period of time before death. The neighbor described her screaming as an uninterrupted roar. It also emerged that Jonah might have been inspired by a scene in the show Dexter, though I can really find much more information about that. The trial began on the 2nd of December, 2014. Jonah's defense claimed that she never intended to murder Emma, only scare her. Though, as Jonah described her thought process on the day of the murder, a member of the court actually fainted, uh, which meant that the court had to be suspended for a short period before they could resume court proceedings. The prosecution demanded the maximum life sentence for the brutal murder of Emma due to the severity of the abuse that Emma suffered in her final moments. On the 19th of December 2014, now 25-year-old Jonah Henningsen was sentenced to 16 years in prison for the brutal murder of Emma. She was also convicted of murder and felony theft, with the motive of pure jealousy. The media had begun to reference Jonah as the rider in their coverage of the case, and that was due to the fact that she was obsessed with horses. The sentencing in this case is of particular note, as some 12 days after the murder took place, 
a law reform was brought into force, which changed the maximum punishment for murder to life imprisonment. Though as the murder took place before the reform, she could only be sentenced to the maximum of 16 years in prison for the crime. The reform was proposed on the 8th of May 2014 and came into effect on the 1st of July 2014. It updated the Swedish criminal code with respect to the sentencing one can receive for murder. It reads, anyone who robs another's life is sentenced to murder in prison for a set time, a minimum of 10 and a maximum of 18 years, or if the circumstances are aggravating, lifetime. Prior to this, the penal code only allowed the maximum sentence to be 16 years before the criminal would be eligible for parole. The reform states that for serious crimes, in particular murder, with aggravating uh, circumstances, the criminal can be sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. The prosecution knew that in this case, Jonah could be sentenced to a life imprisonment. Subsequently, the prosecution appealed the sentencing against Jonah, which meant that she would be retried under the new laws, all in an effort to seek the maximum penalty. The case was then brought in front of the Court of Appeals. Within Swedish legal proceedings, there are several stages in a prosecution. To begin with, a preliminary investigation is carried out by a police officer or a prosecutor as soon as the Swedish prosecution service or the Swedish police are made aware of a crime, and they're both legally required to register and prosecute for all offences they're made aware of. It's interesting to note that the Swedish Prosecution Service is a wholly independent organisation, and according to its official Wikipedia page, it does not depend on the courts or the police, nor is it directed by the Ministry of Justice. In fact, any ministerial interference with the Swedish um, prosecution service is unconstitutional in Sweden. As with most countries, the investigation must be conducted um, objectively and impartially. With less serious crimes, the prosecution service can negate the need for a crime to be tried in court and can pronounce an order of summary punishment. Though with serious crimes, as within this case, the prosecution must bring their findings into the district's court. The trial takes place at the district court and in most cases, that is where the case ends too. But when a defense team or prosecuted person or even the prosecutors themselves decides to appeal a sentence, a second appeal trial takes place at a court known as the Court of Appeals. Following that, the trial under certain circumstances can be brought in front of the Supreme Court, but that can only be done with the Supreme Court's approval and is only done when it is deemed important to establish a precedent for the lower courts. It's also important to note that the legal system works differently in Sweden than it does in, say, the United States or the UK. In America, a court is usually made up of a singular judge and a jury, Whereas in Swedish courts, the court of criminal cases is made up of one legally qualified judge and three lay judges in the district courts. In the court of appeals, there must be three legally qualified judges and two lay judges. The qualified and lay judges are responsible for reaching a verdict, with the qualified judge being responsible for setting penal sentences. In this case, the appeal was conducted on the 18th of March 2015, and it concluded that Jonah had intentionally murdered Emma, citing Jonah's 
internet search history in the days prior to the attacks as supporting evidence for this. And consequently, Jonah was re-sentenced to the maximum available sentence, life imprisonment. Life imprisonment in a maximum security prison. This new sentencing was then appealed again, I believe by Jonah's defense team to the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court denied their request, and so the sentence was set in stone. Jonah now lives a life of isolation due to the high risk that she poses the other inmates. They believe that she is a high risk inmate that is very likely to inflict violence on others. She is only one of just seven women in Sweden that have received life sentencing and were serving their sentencing as of October 2015. She has received multiple warnings while in prison for failing to um, submit drug tests. Jonah had requested that she lead dance courses with a focus on Bollywood dance in the prison, but if this was to be approved, she would not be allowed to teach any inmates so she would just be dancing alone in isolation. Interestingly, she actually fell in love with a friendly inmate and caused that inmate to become extremely uncomfortable. So uncomfortable, in fact, that the inmate had to threaten Jonah, telling her to stay away from them, but the threats didn't work. Jonah started sending letter after letter to the inmate, in one declaring her love for them, and in the next threatening to send her contacts on the outside to hurt the inmate's brother. As a result of these actions, the inmate was granted a restraining order against Jonah and hasn't heard from her since. Unsurprisingly, it also emerged that Jonah has spent a lot of her time in prison researching the likes of Adolf Hitler, Stalin, and other very um, evil world leaders. When asked why she's researching these people, she just replies by saying, history. Unfortunately, in this case, I was unable to find out much information about Emma, much about her life story, who she was as a person, her interests, and her dreams. I spent a lot of time researching and was unfortunately unable to find out that information. And that's everything that I have for you in today's case. Thank you so much for watching this episode in my Curious Case series. If you want to watch more episodes just like this, you can find a link to the full Curious Case playlist in my description box down below. Subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new true crime video. Don't forget to check out JJ Monaghan Watches and use the coupon code JOSHUA15 for 15% off. They currently have free international shipping, which I think is amazing as we all know just how expensive shopping online can be when you've got to ship a products from abroad. Let me know what you think about this case in the comment section down below. Do you think that it was justifiable that Jonah received the maximum life sentence? I believe so. I think that's, that's the right sentence for her. It's interesting to me that an unnamed male was arrested in connection to this case for concealment of a crime and then released and nothing really came of that. And this unnamed male had apparently learned of what Jonah had done and didn't tell anyone or go to the police or anything. It leads me to wonder who exactly this man was, maybe a friend of Jonah's, an ex-lover, or perhaps just one of the men that she had met on her dating apps. I changed the names in this case to respect the privacy of all those involved, all the names obviously except for Jonah's.
It breaks my heart that Emma, who was just 22 years old with her whole life ahead of her to chase her hopes and dreams, was so cruelly and torturously murdered over a boy. I hope her friends and family have found justice in the sentencing that Jonah has received and that they have been able to begin the long, long process of mourning and grief. Again, let me know what you think of this case down in the comment section. I also just wanted to ask whether you guys have uh, seen, noticed, or enjoyed any of the changes I've made in today's video. I've updated the theme tune and I've started using some different editing techniques to try and up the production. If you have any case suggestions that you want to send my way, then be sure to go to requestcase.com uh, or go to my official subreddit and uh, send in your case there. You can find a link to all those sites in my description box down below. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you want to see what's going on behind the scenes, any case updates, things like that. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.